All right. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Geology on the Rocks, your one-stop audio shop for all things rocks and rocking out. So a brief overview of this evening's episode will include the intros and hellos, followed by the triple junction and new news. Our main discussion for this evening's episode will be a grab bag of topics and dive deep into all things space. Between the bars of our main discussion, we present to you another mineral minute. Good Lord, Brian. And then before (laughs) signing off, we'll close things out with another That Freaking Rocks. So a huge thank you to all of our listeners out there for allowing us to be played between your earballs, both to our new listeners and to our returning listeners alike and for spending your time with us each week. If you'd like to reach out for us, whether it be for episode ideas, answers you are wanting answered, if you fancy being a guest or just to tell us about all the times that we were wrong, you can reach us at geologyotr at gmail.com or you can find us at geology on the rocks podcast. What was it last week, Brian? I, that was, <laughs> I said we can start the hashtag. You can find you should hashtag oh, yeah. us at your geology dad. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looks like things are squared away over here. So, without further ado, to all of you over there, I am your host, James the Geologist. And I'm Brian Baggin. And this is Geology, Geology on the Rocks. Well, hey, man, it's been another <laughs> hey, week. Hey, another week without seeing you, my dear. I know. <laughs> my dear <laughs> geology daddy. Where's, you're you're <laughs> yeah. the other half and I haven't seen you. <laughs> I know. It's, it's obviously terrible, but next next week, I, I guess. <laughs> That's when we're shooting for our return. Well, hey, before we yeah. go any further, so we reached out to Neil deGrasse Tyson and we couldn't get an astrophysicist. So <laughs> in, in Neil deGrasse Tyson's place, we have with us Mr. Kevin. Thank you. Ooh, thank, you thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so yes, yes. Kevin, he is not an astrophysicist but he is By an enthusiast stretch of the imagination yeah and he is a listener <laughs> and he is a friend and every time that we got to, we get together like so well not every time but we do talk about space quite a bit we always end up talking about space and he likes nasa and all things space but our conversations usually go towards that way so i figured he he listens to the podcast he's yeah what yeah. better way to, what better way to do this without you know with my nasa watch my nasa shirt and my nasa hat yeah know? now you actually oh, you're, you're, awesome. he, he's walk he's walking the walk <laughs> i do one small yeah. step Step for Kevin, or I guess <laughs> geology the, on the rocks. <laughs> well, hey, you've got the, the, the NASA the NASA alarm clock by hey, my bed. Hey, I even look what I wore today. Just uh, oh snap, the NASA socks. I got NASA socks on, uh, uh, Brian. You can't well, see us because you're over there. My pants have a star on them. Oh, is that, that, that <laughs> a chocolate star? <laughs> oh, God. I mean, we're talking about black holes oh, today. We're already starting off. We're starting yeah, off, great, starting great, off great strong. Start. Starting off strong. <laughs> well, we haven't done this in a while, so um, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Woo. Cheers. Cheers to you, Brian. Oh, man. And y'all are supposed to be having a drink for me. Yeah, no, but we are, Mr. Mr. Sick <laughs> And then what we, yeah. I, we were promised some, what, Japanese whiskey. And then... Yeah. So about that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just having our normal Canadian blend. But right, anyway, right. still delicious. It is. But so, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about space and all things as such. But I didn't really prepare for anything for the triple junction. So I think tonight's episode is going to be quite long enough. So we might as well yeah. just go ahead and get into your amazing <laughs> new news stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, but before I go any further, I wanted to do this for Kevin. Yay! Yeah, for Kevin. joining us. And then for <laughs> uh, Brian's news story. Yeah. <laughs> Every time it's so great. Gosh, stop. Okay, anyways, um, I'm getting into our new news waltz for you. 
Oh, it's a laughing. Ah, uh, yeah. Can All you right. Hear that? Well, that today, yeah. No, no, no. That's good. Okay. Uh, so today I have a story. Um, that comes to you from all the people that care about grain, grain. or, um, yeah, or toxic pesticides. But this story is called Beetles That Pee Themselves to Death Could Be Tomorrow's Pest <laughs> Control. You gotta be. No, I know. Say <laughs> yeah. that one more time, Brian. Beetles That Pee Themselves to Death <laughs> to Death Could Be Tomorrow's Control. It sounds like some kind of, I don't know, something you uh, find yeah. on the dark internet, the dark web. Yeah, so, the dark web. So, so different beetle species, they've been like gobbling through grain uh, and weakening food production since ancient times. Like we know that it was a big thing in Egypt. Yeah. But researchers at the University of Copenhagen, they've discovered a better way of eliminating these little guys. And instead of like using the toxic pesticides that we do now, like that not only damage biodiversity, but the environment and, and even human health. So what they've done is they've realized or they've noticed that there's certain hormones that trigger urination <laughs> of beetles. And so they are constructing compounds to make them pee so much that they all dehydrate and die. Okay, so like that's not what I had in my mind whenever you first like <laughs> said the story. Yeah, that was not where I was. I was like, I, know, I, I, know. I was imagining them like in a I don't know in some kind of container, and they just fills up with pee, <laughs> drown themselves in pee. No, uh, no, it is not that that funny, but I, it it still is like what? Like how did how did they come up with it? All, all I, I can I imagine, all I can imagine with this is I don't know if y'all, if either of y'all seen it, but Orgasmo, the movie that Trey Parker and Matt Stone no. did. Oh, the superhero, right? Yeah. So they, yeah. they do, they shoot the Orgasmo Raider. The Orgasmo Raider. Makes <laughs> 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 you uncontrollably come. Oh no, that 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 was your uh, snail story with the harpoons, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> but I just I imagine them doing that with the urination of the beetles. Oh man, we're just gonna set up this pheromone that's gonna make them uncontrollably pee. Man. Yeah, that would yeah, be, that's, it's kind of like, what is it, when you put x clocks in someone's drink? I feel like that's what you're doing yeah. to these, these poor beetles. But no, F them because they're destroying harvests. And, they are. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of also like on South Park when they play the brown note. Like they like find what note makes everyone poop. <laughs> <laughs> so they play it and everyone, yeah. It's yeah, like the, really the myth if you punch someone in the armpit, they have to, to go doo-doo. I don't know if I've heard that myth. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I, I just randomly see these TikToks and like, don't, when I say that, I don't, I'm not like just perusing <laughs> TikTok all day, but like the, I think one of the most random ones that I saw like recently was, I don't know. I want to watch wow. those guys oh. that do the, uh, is it fact or fiction? <laughs> have someone do that to me. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. real. That happens. Yeah. That sounds, <laughs> yeah, like sounds, if you hit someone too hard, do they just like right then? Like, is it like, no, no, I don't know. Intensity? <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to find out. I don't know. I will pass on that one. So yeah beetles peeing too much to <laughs> save our food supply. Yeah, that, I think that sounds like a, a plan. Well, my news article that I bring to you is non-boning lizards. So <laughs> Never hearts? Yeah. The, the, the uh, never hearts. 
I, I, I would imagine all of us, we can agree that sex is fun. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it seems like everyone's doing it. It's the, it's the thing that we do these days when we're adults and you know, so most species do it and sex creates variation kind of in two ways. Right. So that's why animals that's when we have sexual reproduction. Right. So it, it creates variations in the genetics or the, yeah, the genes, right. Independent assortments is the process by which you mix and match genetic variations and creating the next generations. Most organisms have two sets of chromosomes. I'm just giving everyone a, a, you know, a lesson that if you don't know, and then individual <laughs> inherits one set of each chromosome from one parent and one set of chromosomes from the other parent. So for chromosomes, the offspring will essentially inherit one or the other chromosomes from each of the parents. So the, the chromosome gets divided mm -hmm. up into gametes, an egg and a sperm cell differently. So the, the second way in which variation is introduced to the gene pool is through crossing over, which to me is still one of the, the craziest things that happened in the entire, no, no. you know, the biological world. It's during this uh, meiosis, right? It's the process by which organisms produce gametes and then the chromosomes from one parent match up exactly with the chromosome from the parent of the other chromosome. Yeah. They, they unzip. But what's happening is like they unzip and then they they match up perfectly with the other person. So it's like that. Is that what the recombinant so, DNA? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. genetic by the way. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then you have like what, like the meiosis and it, there's like two phases of it. I don't know. The The thing is people actually calculate it to say that it the, the recombination of it, a single individual can create more genetic different or genetically different gametes than there are stars in the sky. So that's like the yeah. difference of the recombination, but <laughs> la, la. so it, it, it costs something though, right? So I think of the peacock and the weight of its tails. So you got to outcompete. So the feathers being able not to fly, right? I, am I lying when I say peacocks can't fly? Male peacocks? Uh, you know, I, I have no really? idea, honestly. I don't even think about that. Yeah, well, because their their tail feathers are like six feet long, but that's not that's not the point. So it exposes organisms. They can up. kind of fly. Yeah, that's what so I was are thinking. They like a, it's kind of like a chicken, more or less. Or even, I don't know. Tur or even I don't know. a turkey. I don't like, know, but so but like yeah. that's that's the cost. Is like the males got to have these big, bright, beautiful feathers that kind of lure their women in, and it also like it expo it exposes organisms up to predation, preying mantis, right? <laughs> or they, I don't know that that. I, I just put that in there and I put lols because they get eaten, right? The male. So, but anyways, which it's a long story made. Uh, the point of this is so a small percentage of animals actually reproduce asexually. And though many of these also resort to sex now and then, right? Who doesn't like a good old uh, sexing down? But these asexual outliers have a different technique for reproducing. Some small invertebrates create offspring by budding, growing small versions of themselves, right? And then they eventually detach. I think that's kind of like what we saw with the snail, right? That you talked about in your new news story once before, mm -hmm. right? And then when we talked about corals, they can divide themselves into two. Just they're, you know, they're the same organism, but they're two different. It's, it's weird. And then some species need males around only because they require sperm to kickstart the reproductive process, even though they rarely incorporate any genetic material, but that's neither here nor there. Some fish actually morph into male fishes, like the female will turn into a male. That's just like clownfishes, moray eels. Um, but anyways, this process, there's another process and it's called parthenogenesis a genetic and there's these lizards so they're entirely female species that produce eggs with no males required right wow <laughs> yeah so this these unusual lizards like there are a few dozen 
of such species that avoid many of the pitfalls of sex, such as, um, or the other organisms like Daphnia, the water fleas, if you will. So mm-hmm. uh, the Komodo dragons can do this, pit vipers, the Amazon molly, it's a fish, not not the fun, good time. But black tick, sh- black, t- <laughs> what? Black, <laughs> black tip sharks, mole salamanders, cape honeybees, or some other of these species. So the, the spontaneous parthenogenic or androgenetic events occur in humans too, but it usually results in tumors. Well, it does. So humans can't reproduce this way. Mm-hmm. Why it usually isn't productive long-term is that organisms are constantly getting new mutations if you do this. And it's very rare for mutations to be beneficial for organisms. So most have no effect on your fitness or they actually decrease it. So fitness is basically how good you are at life, right? So surviving, <laughs> yeah. making babies, doing it. So if you're an asexual organism, you're constantly getting new mutations every generation and you're just going to accumulate these slightly negative mutations up until the point where your genome is a disaster zone. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. you, it's like, yeah, so it's, I don't know, this just study was studying all female lizard species and saying that like, oh, it's this cool thing where you can, you know, you do, it doesn't require males to produce, but you yeah. know, with each each time they reproduce, like they're adding genetic uh, mutations uh, into their gene pool. And most of these, uh, this type of sexual, asexual reproduction, they don't usually last a very long time because you're not getting that genetic right. variant. And I don't yeah. even know. I had no idea that Komodo dragons and pit vipers. Oh, were, I, I think, oh. I think that they can, and it's not always, Okay, I think it's just so, like they can. So I know there was it's a story necessary. in the, in the zoo with some kind of like weird snake and it just like, it, it had been in captivity its entire life, but it gave birth to, um, another snake. That's crazy. Yeah. Could you imagine? Really? Wow. And, and it doesn't, and it, <laughs> like, and, but like what it, they're it, saying, it laid a fertilized egg and actually gave birth. To yeah. It. And the thing like, is, who's been thinking around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is like a female, like some in, in some of this is like they produce males and then they can breed with them. Cause I think the idea wow. is, is that inbreeding is better than no breeding genetically speaking. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, you consider bee colonies, yeah. bee colonies, you've one male that comes around and impregnates the queen and then the worker bees either kill it or send it away. Like, yeah. Cause they have no purpose for it outside of breeding. They have no purpose for it. So I was, I was almost going to do a story about how bees there's like actually like death keepers, like where they, they're the ones that go through and find all the dead bees and move them out. <laughs> But I didn't. I'll say yeah. it for an episode. But anyways, yeah. So that's cool. Like, uh, I'm glad that we are not. We don't. Partake. I'm definitely glad we're not the non-boning lizards. Yeah, non-boning yeah. lizards. Or we don't have pheromones that make us urinate ourselves so we dehydrate and die. Good <laughs> lord. Yeah. Sounds yeah. terrible. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess on to episode 29 we go, and we are going to talk about all things space. And so we, I think we named this one Space Talk Coast to Coast. And while this is not comprehensive by any stretch of the imaginations. Brian and I are both geologists and you're an enthusiast. I'm just an enthusiast that works in concrete and asphalt and stuff. Whatever we take, take with a grain of salt tonight. We just, <laughs> yeah. this is just fun for us. It's kind of like, a, it's kind of like at the beginning of your episode where it's like, you know, let us know if we made any mistakes. Yeah. I feel like there can be uh, yeah. quite a if, few emails on this And one. Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you're listening, please uh, don't kill us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Join us and tell us about all the times we were wrong. So, but we, we, we do hope that it's just a, for you out there, it's a starting point in whatever creative or research you might want to do or look into it and find it entertaining at the very least but hey everyone before we start i have oh 
Mm-hmm. Poems by James. All right. And in the end, we are only atoms drifting alone, desperate for something to cling on to. That's it. Is that a song I like lyric? that. No, it's a, it's, it's, <laughs> okay. a, it's a poem. I just typed in space poem and it was the first one that popped up. So I don't know uh, who wrote oh, that. Well, Short, sweet, and to the you point. You didn't say twinkle, twinkle, little star. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I should have put that. That, that should have been, should be music in the background. What's so funny is that oh, we, oh, we did that at band practice. We yeah, got <laughs> We were doing that at band practice on Friday. We really were. We, we just were like doing like wow. know, for the next five minutes. We just, we just or a whole it up. set. Yeah, a whole set. Could you imagine just playing the variations? Like heavy, heavy, twinkle, twinkle. That's awesome. <laughs> we figured we'll just let we'll just tell everybody. Hey, if you know this song, sing along. We're gonna have pe- people singing three different songs. With yeah, no, that's that's ball ball black shoe. <laughs> twinkle, twinkle. No, it's ABCs, bro. <laughs> That's crazy, like the the yeah, yeah, melody for all three of those. Yeah, but, yeah. All right. So today, general space talk. So first, we're gonna kind of go through, I guess, the how big the universe is, then get into kind of uh, like I don't know multiverse discussions. Then we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, some suns, their life cycles, and then into black holes. Then we'll get into the mineral minute, and then on the back half, we'll kind of narrow our focus into our solar system, and then take it from there. Oh, Oh man, I just keep breeding sex as fun. <laughs> and then I see Milky Ways. Yep. Ooh, yeah. Uh, so so today, like we're fairly confident that okay, so we are living with on Earth in our solar system. We have the sun and we are living in the Milky Way. Whenever people I, God, I just feel like don't you feel don't don't y'all feel like whenever we talk about like the universe, they just throw out like these, I guess, astronomical numbers. <laughs> it's just like oh, yeah. infinitely <laughs> large or you know you look inwards and it's like infinitely small and it's just it's mind-boggling but anyways the milky way is probably between i guess they say what a hundred thousand to one hundred fifty thousand light years across right yeah yeah Yeah. and and a light year so that we throw out those things all the time right yeah but that's approximately six trillion miles or (laughs) about 10 trillion kilometers one light year one light year (laughs) and say that one more time just so it sinks in all right one light year is approximately Six trillion miles or Six 10 trillion, trillion kilometers. Got yeah. It. And yeah. you just said that the Milky Way <laughs> is between 100,000 and 150,000 light years. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a very, very, very large number. So yeah, like the observable universe is, of course, you know, it's, it's much larger than that. And according to current thinking, it's about 93 billion light years in diameter. And that's just observable. That's not even including what is beyond. That's, 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 that's assuming there is a beyond. That, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's only because that's has the, the galaxies and everything that are out there. The light has finally reached us. Yeah. We it, can see it. So everything else that's beyond that, we probably won't ever see it because because light can't get to us fast enough because the universe is expanding at such an immense rate. And that's interesting too about the expanding universe too, right? Because yeah. it's it's what's propelling it further, you know, faster and faster. It cuz it's it's That's that's where that's where they get into that dark energy. Dark yeah. energy is what is propelling the universe to expand the way it is. But nobody can explain what dark energy is because it's virtually unknown. Like it's like dark matter, you don't you don't see it, you can't tell where it's coming from. So it's I don't yeah, I don't it's it, intense. Tell us everything you know about dark energy. Brian. I know nothing about it. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Yeah, so. I was kind of just going to be silent for a second. <laughs> well, I mean, that would be the dark energy. It's evil. Oh, but yeah, so sense. if you yeah. kind of, how they, so if you hold an object in front of your eye, hold your hand in front of your face and then look through your left eye, close it, and then look through your right eye, you can see that it moves a little bit. So yeah. this is what they call parallax, right? So there's a, the difference between those two observations can be used to work out the distance 
to the object in question. So this is kind of how they're they're, they're measuring the observable universe. What we're observing now is, I don't know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it hurts my yeah. head. We're not able to wait for that light that we would shoot out and then wait for it to bounce back to tell us. So we've had to use calculations for that. We can do it with the moon, right? Yeah. That's how like they can, they can send light and see how long that takes. But I mean, we don't really have the technology. So we've had to use calculations. And sometimes they use stuff like dark color and the, its intensity to see like then they factor that in to see potentially how far away objects are. But yeah, I mean, it's so weird. Yeah. Like, and then I think don't, about. and I don't know if you remember from uh, physics class where you have the Planck constant. Well, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I don't know what that was, but Planck, he calculated that the age by studying the cosmic microwave background. So the CMB, if that sounds familiar. And then that, the, it, the, the, yeah. yeah, so the cosmic microwave background light is a, is a traveler from far away. And long ago when it arrives, it tells us about the whole history of our universe. So because of the connections between the distances and the speed of light, this means scientists can look at a region of space that lies 13.8 billion light years away, like a ship in right. the empty ocean. Astronomers on Earth can turn their telescope. So I think it's fascinating. So I mean, like, I, so whenever they see the observable, like, you know, like the, the yeah. big, so when they travel back to the Big Bang looking through a telescope in any direction, it's like, so if they look at a different part of the universe, they can still see that same event happen. So I mean, like, does yeah. that, so that tells you like at one point, like it was a, a singular point and it's kind of like this expanding, inflating. Right, right, yeah. Right, yeah. And so we, we know the observable universe. We, I would say like a telescope can see, allow us to see about 13 billion light years away. Yeah. But like in a circular sense, then a, a diameter of 26 billion light years. But <laughs> that's like, that's still like well, nothing compared. Well, so saying that, and, and that's why, that's why I said what's crazy about dark energy is the fact of this is what is propelling everything to move at the increasing speed. It's not slowing down. It's not a constant speed. It is in, it is accelerating and still accelerating. Yeah. Yeah. 13.8 uh, billion light years. Year, light years ago, it was when it all happened, right? Yeah. Or they yeah. Because expansion is going so fast. That's why the observable universe is essentially 90, was it 96? Or 90 yeah, large. 93, I think. Yeah. But that's also, that's why I don't say that this is the actual full universe, just because of the fact that what makes us the middle of the universe. Well, I mean, it's not oh, to say, course, I, mean, yeah. I mean, but have you heard anything when it comes to like, when they talk about horizons? So if you're a ship on the sea right. and like you look in any direction, the horizon is the set an X amount of distance away from you in all directions. Right. And then like mm -hmm. a, a ship at a different direction or on a different part of the seas, it's still the in any direction. It's as far as you can see. So are there different points where are we can we see further or not, you know, as far away? So, I mean, that, that would have implications if we're at the center. Like if everyone thinks that they're at the center, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, well, if and that's, yeah. And that's what I think that the technological advances that we've had with the telescopes with like Hubble, what, everything that Hubble has been able to do and, and see through and the infrared telescopes that have been put on this thing yeah. has been and miraculous for what just for being able to scientifically study the expanse of the universe and how this is all happening yeah getting to look at these molecular nebulae or nebulae or nebula or whatever it's called now yeah <laughs> i don't know but yeah. so that, that, that i think that's going to take us into our our next our next topic which is the multiverse um, i like this one. yeah so we know the universe is expanding which we've been saying right so we can measure properties about galaxies that teach us 
about their distances and how fast they appear to be moving away from us. The, the further away or the farther away they are, the faster they appear to recede. And in the context of general relativity, thanks to Einstein, that means mm -hmm. that the universe is expanding. And if the universe is expanding today, that means it was smaller and denser in the past. And then the good thing about that is we can extrapolate back far enough and you'll find that things are also more uniform because gravity takes time to make things clump together and hotter. And because smaller wavelength for light means higher energies, temperatures, that leads us back to the Big Bang. Yeah, and so uh, I think we mentioned it like inflation. So that's based on basically a hyper expansion in initial stages. Yeah. And so it, that's based on like subatomic particles that like went to softball size almost instantly. I think that was Alan Goose like in 1980 that brought forth that idea. But, but prior to <laughs> you <yeah>. said Goose. <laughs> Goose. But prior to the Big Bang, the universe wasn't filled with particles, antiparticles and radiation. It was it was actually filled with energy inherent to space and that energy caused space to expand at these rapid, re relentless or, or ex exponential rates. Yeah, no, and it's so, crazy. It's crazy how yeah. like everything that <laughs> was yeah but just how just yeah yeah i know what you're saying yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah yeah oh yeah but yeah, like totally. at, at some point inflation ended and like and almost all of that energy gets converted into matter which is what we observe now in, in energy and it, that gave rise to the big bang at the end of inflation what's known as the reheating of our universe that makes the start of the hot big bang yeah the big bang still <laughs> that, that sounds like a, it sounds like a it typical sounds hot. Tues like, tuesday night in the brian it sounds like <laughs> salty brian lizard. the lizards know nothing about it <laughs> no right? it's they definitely don't have a hot big bang <laughs> no <laughs> uh, but it wasn't the very beginning, right? So yeah. if you if you then require inflation to have the properties that all quantum fields have, mm -hmm. that its properties have uncertainties that are going to be inherent, the field's going to be described by wave function, and then the values of the field can spread out over time. You'll reach a surprising conclusion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Inflation doesn't end everywhere at once, like I think that uh, we're referring to, but rather it's going to be select and disconnected locations at any yeah. given time. So while the space between those locations continue to inflate, there, there, there should be multiple enormous regions of space where inflation ends in a hot big <laughs> so much, <laughs> and where a hot big bang begins but they can they can they can really never encounter one another i think that's what you were kind of alluding to earlier kevin and so as they're they're separated by regions of inflating space wherever that inflation begins it is all but guaranteed to continue for an eternity at least in certain places right right that, yeah, like that's what comes to the conversation of like wormholes and connections mm. and stuff like that it's, <laughs> it, it's i mean obviously the multiverse is something that's just a theory right so so we're wormholes yeah. so to yeah, think that like, there are multiple universes out there i guess the only thing i could think of is is going back to like men in black the aliens are playing with the marbles and the, those are the universes and it's yeah like, i don't know i mean just yeah, it's, it it's blows crazy. my mind to sit there and think it's like could that be a possibility like, i don't <laughs> think so but yeah i mean like like the part of the universe that we observe that's just one part of this region where inflation ended but with more of the unobservable universe beyond that so there's countlessly probably many regions that like we said they're all disconnected from each other that have the same story. I don't, it, it gets really weird. Yeah. And then in theory, that is, so like in the context of string theory, right? So there, there's a huge set of parameters that could in principle take almost any value. So what comes to mind is like the Googleplex. 
have you heard of that? Like, so yeah. even within, so the Google, a Googleplex, I think is 10 to the hundredth power. So, right. If we did that in light years across, like, so you should, uh, theoretically just these big numbers, if you were to go like a Googleplex light years in any direction, you should eventually run into yourself. Just the, the wow. genetic, like the, or the atom, not even genetic, but the atomic makeup of things like eventually you will run into yourself again. Right. Cause I mean, if you, I guess the easiest way to look at this is if, as you're standing here on earth, if you were to run a straight line, eventually you're going to get right back to where you were. So as kind of gravity works, like if you were just on an, an, on a, an existing plane that you could just run on and you were able to make this time just continue, you'd be able to go from one point of the universe, run straight, and eventually because of gravity or however all this stuff works, would be able to come back all the way around and you'd be right back at that same spot. It hurts the brain. I heard that and I was like, holy crap. I mean, it makes sense though, but it, make, it makes sense, it but it... <laughs> It doesn't. <laughs> right. But I mean, if, if you try and look at it from a point of saying, okay, how can I make this relative? Because that's the whole thing. When you run into this, when you run into space and all that stuff, you're running into these gigantic numbers. You're running into these uh, just unimaginable things, right? So you have to put it into a perspective of how can I try and understand this? And if you look at it as a point of saying like you're one spot on the plane, you take off running and you have an infinite amount of time to run. And eventually, because of the way it works, you're going to find yourself all the way back. Eventually, I know. I know what you're saying but like right. and then there's even like models to where it's just like a like uh when they do these kind of modelings of the universe like we're looking at it 2D but it's like this three cuz cuz like right we're on this expanding outward so what's in the middle <laughs> Like right, if you think of it, we think of it as like on a like a loaf of bread that's that's that that's baking and it's getting everything's on the outside because it's this expanding universe. But what's all in the the middle bits? Because like where it's like a you kind of look at it kind of like in this three D. I don't know. And then in between, maybe you could get the wormholes. Well, and I guess I, I guess your middle bits would be all the stars and galaxies and no, but and that those should technically dark matter that's right? around. But those should all technically be on the outside of this expanding uh, universe bubble. Like we're all on the outside of this bubble, and at this expanding. So what's in the middle? <laughs> yeah. Quite logically. I don't know. I don't know. But so like, yeah, so this, but the, the theory that we've been talking about, so it makes no predictions for when we have to put them in by hand. So the multiverse is not a scientific theory on its own, but rather it's a theoretical consequence of the laws of physics as they are best understood today. I mean, that's just, well, that's, we don't know what we don't know. Quantum comes in and stuff like that. The quantum physics, because yeah. that's what, that's what makes it go beyond what physics is capable of. Well, I mean, it's Newton, right? So that that deals with like uh, what low 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 gravity and speeds but then kind of the it falls apart on the bigger scale and that's where general relativity comes in and then you know yeah. past that is string theory kind of right well because general relativity was supposed to be a constant right so like when right when einstein made that and that you know and i think that's probably what uh, one of the things with him was he wanted i think he wanted everything in the universe to be a constant but when quantum comes into play yeah no but his like yeah because relative Relatively, re relativity breaks down on the on the on the quantum scale. Like it doesn't make sense. So right, exactly. So which, that's why they come up with. And what, how many dimensions do you know, Brian? Is it like eleven dimensions? Oh gosh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's over ten. I thought. And, and that, that, like, what you are what you are talking about reminds me, like the the idea of constants and like what we perceive them as right in yeah. our plane if you will <laughs> uh, so that's like referred to as the anthropic so that's a constant in physics it looks like they're fine-tuned 
for the emergence of observers. So if they were all put here just so we could observe things and make sense of them, but that only exists in, like you said, our bubble at this moment. Yeah. They may not were governed by quantum physics and you're going to have another way of the way of, of physics, I guess, the, the way things can occur. Yeah. It's weird, it's especially like with an inflationary universe. It's just something you're pretty much bound to. But so I like, don't want to be bound to it, Brian. <laughs> but we got to... You gotta do it. I know. But like, so much like string theory, it's <laughs> uh, sad. It has some big problems, so it, it doesn't predict anything we've, we've either observed or can't explain without it. Yeah. Right? And it doesn't predict anything definitive we can go and look for. Yeah, you're right. Or, I mean, even physicists, the, the theory of, is attractive just because of the fact that it explains many puzzles of quantum mechanics, right? I, I don't, I, yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll take so, your word for yeah, it. So, yeah. <laughs> Believe me this. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I'm telling you how it is, right? So I would not steer you wrong. But like, uh, so with, uh, I'm going to destroy this dude's name. It's, I think it's Erwin Schrodinger's. Yeah, Schrodinger. Like the Schrodinger's yeah. cat. Schrodinger. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, his his thought uh, experiment uh, concerning a, a dead and alive cat, right? The cat simply branched into different worlds. Yes. Leaving just one cat in a box per world. So Carol also shows the theory offers simpler explanations of certain complex phenomena, such as why black holes emit radiation. So that's, that's we're going to get into that. Yeah. Take right. note of mm-hmm. that, the irradiation. Marked. Got it. So the theory might help to develop still speculative ideas about conundrums, such as how to combine quantum mechanics mechanics with relativity theory yeah and so that like that that whole experiment still throws me off because it's like oh well anything could happen like either like you know the cat dies or it doesn't or it does something else all of them you don't know or it they all happen until what like you you observe it so but i feel like well, that's been co-opted by like uh social kind of experiments like kind of like oh yeah. is it alive but but i think when he was i think in its context is right so you have this radiation right so if the radiation is detect so if, if if this thing if the radioactive element decays it's going to hit this alarm and it's going to set off cyanide gas and it's going to kill this cat or it doesn't decay and the cat's still alive but without looking in there so it's kind of like paralleling uh it's called like quantum entanglement like both things happen and then well like it's it's only measured because you know it's there yeah like, and it's kind of yeah. like whenever they measure like uh these because they it whenever you go into string theory and like how they measure it when you have like the the collider and it kind of like are these peak things it's i don't know it's this quantum entanglement where i don't know it can be both at the same time and they're saying every time like you have these <laughs> quantum entanglements like the, the universe split so it's either like this or that like so the cat can be like what both dead or alive i don't know yeah right yeah yeah i I don't know it's it's it's, (laughs) well it's mind-numbing and i'd even watched a video about this uh just to try and make a little bit more sense of it and it's it 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 just made me more confused than than gave me answers everything that you see everything that we know of is is measured everything it's not taking a rule or two and measuring it but you're actually just i can physically look over and i can see a geode i can see your minerals that you've got laid out i won't call them crystals no but but they but (laughs) but but where this is coming from is electrons where they put it through the the slit and it, it yeah. behaves like it it can be both at the same time right but where it's this, either where or. this where this video is going was oh. saying like if nobody pays attention to it nobody knows it's there does it even exist well that's how I think about like death <laughs> is it a thing unless you're really conscious about it yeah like you, if when people die across 
the, like you know what I'm saying like in France for instance like I mean did, did, did they actually die I, yeah, it, but it it doesn't matter to you because you're here <laughs> like it, it, and you <laughs> right. would never have yeah. known or you don't know so I mean like how it I don't know it's and that's exactly why I got more confused than I got answers and I'm just like <laughs> I don't understand this and if I feel like if I if I got to go back over and do it all over again like one of the educational degrees I would try to get in would have been astrophysics just yeah. it's it's extremely intriguing but when you get into a quantum realm it just it throws me off so bad and even astrophysics throws me off but i think that's the hardest phd to get yeah astrophysics one of them it's stupid i don't it's i'm trying i try to fathom i guess i try to bring everything in in in, into a perspective to where i can try and understand it but ultimately it just gets to a point where things are so massive the expanse of everything is so big that it just i can't wrap my head around it and it's just it's just beyond my comprehension yeah well you're cocky everything's mr i'm so big (laughs) 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 that is not the case well so i'm gonna go back to schrodinger's uh big thing but no (laughs) so his big thing was the, the thought of the many world yeah. theory, right? Like it basically, I think you brought up electrons, James. Like yeah. it actually, that actually ha- is what it says is actually what happens when you look at the electron. It's, it's not that there's some transition, like this big boom. It's in one location that just happens to be where you saw it. Yeah. It's that it, the world goes into these copy modes where the electron was here and you saw it here, but another copy is where the electron was over there and you also saw it there and so forth. And that it's not like just wild <laughs> speculation. <laughs> what? It's yeah. It's it's like basically you it could happen in any way and be anywhere and you still see it. So just because you see it here doesn't mean it's the only place. Well, that's the only the, uh, moment. I guess it solves if, if the tree falls in the forest, did it, did it make a sound? So it's I yes. I was thinking the exact same, <laughs> exact same thing in my head. I was yeah. like, I was, and no, it no, it doesn't make a sound, but it does. Right. Right. What? Just because. <laughs> <laughs> quantum mechanics uh, yeah. yeah where we have devolved like anyways yeah go ahead brian like i didn't mean to <laughs> no 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 that's, that's all i was gonna say is it, it basically is all of these things can and potentially will happen yeah just relative to where i don't know your consciousness is right i don't that's where that's where this stuff is like i don't get it because it's like is my other like copy also conscious that does not i don't know that has no clue that i'm seeing things over here i don't know, I don't know either people are gonna yeah. come out of this being like yeah, i've got we're doing the opposite of what neil degrasse tyson does that makes yeah. it clear and you know expl- exactly just we're just like i don't know like what huh <laughs> if he yeah. listens to this podcast he's going oh god no Oh, tell, tell him to stop <laughs> please yeah. never do this again <laughs> no but i guess all right so, so i guess to continue on so many worlds just just say they also obey the schrodinger's equation so every other approach to quantum mechanics has to make things more complicated like by saying no there's something special there's something special that happens when you look at them i, I mean i don't know maybe, maybe that's possible but if there's if there's no need for that if like there's no empirical benefit to saying that i don't know man there's <laughs> It's like there's there's no <laughs> metaphysical benefit to saying that. Then then why say it? Yeah. So like to me the the formulation of the many worlds interpretation is the the simplest I guess version of quantum mechanics uh, that there can be really. So the the price you pay is that there are a lot of worlds. <laughs> All right. So I mean it's simple explanation, but it whole you know like we said that it, it gives rise to this. But that's like saying there's an infinite number of numbers in the number line, which is true and there's different values of infinity, right? But that doesn't stop yeah. us from using the concept of a number line in general, right? So if you're like, well, if 
there's an sure. infinite number of numbers, why use a number line? So, right. but we, but a number line exists. So likewise, in quantum mechanics, there's one concept, the wave function obeying the Schroeder's, Schrodinger's equation. And then basically you can't get much simpler than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, right. So anyways, that's, that's a little bit about the multiverse. I think we went a little far in that. So let's see about stuff that I, we can observe. I think it's easy to get lost in that. Yeah. Just like it's easy to get lost in Brian's voice in your eyes, baby. <laughs> Take it easy. Then we'll get into a little bit about black holes. So black holes are some of the strangest and most fascinating objects in outer space. They're extremely dense with such strong gravitational attractions that light can't even escape their grasp if it comes near enough. Right. So Albert Einstein first predicted the existence of black holes in 1960 with his general theory of relativity. Then the term black hole was coined many years later in 1967 by American <laughs> <laughs> John. Wheeler, I'm already, I, I'm thinking of what I'm about to say. <laughs> so after, decades, after, de after decades of black holes. <laughs> oh, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so after decades of black holes being known, they're only theoretical objects, right? So the first or physical black hole ever discovered was spotted in 1971. <laughs> so We're going to get through this, don't worry. <laughs> the most commonly known <laughs> way a black hole forms is by stellar death. <laughs> And outside of Brian's doo doo maker. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the most commonly known way a black hole forms is by stellar death. And outside of Brian's doo doo maker, there are four, four types of black holes. And they're the stellar black holes, <laughs> intermediate, supermassive, and miniature. And we Dude, I'm, I'm sweating. Dude, I'm crying. I am too. I'm gonna Oh my I'm gonna God. pee myself like those beetles. Oh. Okay, <laughs> do it. Let's. Uh, well, do you want to take like a like a five minute break? Go TT. No, oh, I just made because I was laughing. So oh, hard, okay. <laughs> oh my God. Did I wow. add that? I, I like was. I was looking down. I was like. He's not gonna say it. He's not gonna say uh, it. Dude, dude, I, oh no, he's saying it. When I was up in like 1916, I remember I was like, yep, it's coming up. It's coming up. I know. And I started, that's when I lost it. Anyways, <laughs> man, hold on. We might have to make another episode with our solar system. Yeah. So do you want to do, let's do a mineral minute. Then we'll talk about black holes and then get whatever we need off our chest about. Yeah, let's space. do this. And then <laughs> we'll have to do another episode with you about our universe. I like it. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> the pace that we're on, it's going to be. It's going to be a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a mineral minute. Mineral. Brian's black hole. Mineral minutes. Mineral. Mineral. Mineral minutes. Minerals. All right, so this mineral minute is brought to you by this week's sponsor. This week's mineral <laughs> minute is brought to you by the iron arsenide oxyhydroxysulfate. <laughs> Not Brian's duty maker, but Tui Eliite. Tui Eliite. 
chemical formula is Fe3 plus Kas3 plus O3, 4SO4, OH4, and 4 water ions. So, fun fact about 2-O-L-E-I-S. <laughs> <laughs> is that acid mine drainage, AMD, and in hot springs, microbiological oxidation of Fe2 to Fe3 plays a key role in immobilizing toxic elements such as arsenic by co-precipitation and absorption with onto iron hydroxyhydroxide and iron hydroxysulfate minerals. You made it through. So, Holy crap. 2-E-L-E-I-D is trans transparent orange in color and has a greasy luster. Tuleoleite has a hardness of 3 and a specific gravity of 4.23. Tuleoleite has a good distinct cleavage on that 001 plane. <laughs> and then tuleoleite is monoclinic mineral and part of the 2M prismatic crystal class. Tuleoleite named, <laughs> named after its discovery locality Gold Hill Tuleol County Utah USA <laughs> and its type locality is U.S. Mine, Gold Hill, Gold Hill Mining District, Tuliol, Utah, <laughs> so twice, USA. Twice, twice, I don't know. <laughs> so Tuliolite can grow elongate blades up to 10 millimeters and streaks orange. Tuliolite is biaxial <laughs> negative with a measured 2V angle of 2 to 5 degrees and 32 calculated. Tuliolite has high surface relief <laughs> with visible pleochrosis. What 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 does that mean to you? What is a biaxial negative mineral? <laughs> uh, I don't know either. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah, yeah. I uh, don't. So stay tuned for next week's mineral jargoon. <laughs> that was gonna make me laugh so much. I can already you know. Brian's black Michael. Mineral. I can't. <laughs> Brian's doo doo maker. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Dude, you know what? Like at work, they call me Bobo, and now you're talking about my doo doo maker. They call you Bobo? What? Yeah. Brian Bobo. Brian, Brian Bobo Baggins. I love it. Okay. All right. All okay. Right. Back up to black holes. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll start off by talking about stellar, stellar black holes. Small but deadly. When a star burns through the last of its fuel, the object may collapse or, or fall into itself. Yeah. For smaller stars, those up to about three times the sun's mass, the new core will become a neutron star or it'll become a white dwarf. But when a larger star collapses, it continues to compress and create what we call a stellar black hole. And black holes formed by the collapse of individual stars are relatively small, but incredibly dense. One of these objects packs more than three times the mass of the sun into the diameter of a city. Jeez, um, sorry, are you saying, yeah. so that, it's like when I think of neutron stars, like how dense it is, like a tablespoon of that would be like just uh, so dense like the gravity. Yeah, but, right, yeah. So it's, three times yeah, exactly. the bigger our sun, but the size of just like a regular city, just... That's, yeah, and I mean, and even like, they can be larger than that, like I've read somewhere it could be like ten times as massive as the sun to like New York City. God it's bless. craziness, but no. yeah, it leads to a crazy the amount of gravitational force and it pulls on objects that are surrounding it. So stellar black holes, then they'll consume the dust and gas from their surrounding galaxies and that allows them to keep growing. 
According to the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, the Milky Way, it contains a few hundred of these, which what? is kind of scary. Yeah. What? <laughs> so, speaking of that, I actually heard something kind of interesting now. I don't really remember all the details of it, but when the conversation of Planet X or Planet 9 actually came about, the other thought of it is, is like, could it be a stellar black hole? Maybe the size of a grapefruit. Because, I mean, if you say, even, even the size of a grapefruit, it's so dense even at that size. Yeah, that. that's one of those uh, small, like, th- I was also hearing, like, the like the term, not like a stellar black hole, but like a primordial black hole that are, like, really mm-hmm. small. Right, and, and that that might actually be what it is. Where, But, but I don't know, still, because man, the that's... primordial ones are, like, those really, really old ones, like, that started, so I don't know if that's... Well, and because everything involves around math, right? So math is these mathematical equations that on how every planet, you know, goes around the sun is not done just by the sun. Everything is done by all the other planets so when you know saturn was like discovered and they're like well how is it on this elliptical orbit because mathematically it just just doesn't make sense that's when uranus and neptune were figured out were found and it's like okay this makes sense but mathematically we're still kind of off yeah so that's why the thought of planet x or planet nine comes about it it, i mean it really divulges into it and it's like again confusing is all get out yeah so Basically, there's something yeah. big out there that's that's at least ten times the mass of us or the sun. Yeah, ten times our mass that's able to pull that's able to pull these planets and keep them in the orbit that they're in. So it's not the sun keeping them in orbit. It is, but you have mathematically to make the orbits work the way they are. You have to have something else pulling on the outside. My question. So then I would ask. So like whenever they were doing the the calculations, and this might we're getting off topic a little bit, but like with the precision of the with the calculations and everything, they were accounting for planet X before they even knew it existed. Mm-hmm. Like with such precision, like we can, we know, what was it? What, you know, like whenever they have that, uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm way off topic. To, yeah, I'm trying to remember who it was that, that came up with the idea of Planet X. But it, I mean, the guy that did, that came up with this was, it was a long, long time ago. Early 1900s, I think maybe even 1800s, uh, late 1800s. Um, but he had this crazy idea, which most of these ideas that start out as crazy ideas. and like, oh, that can't be possibly true. So, oh, the, the, plate, <laughs> the plate tectonics. That's crazy. Yeah. What are those? <laughs> what are those? <laughs> so but essentially that's that's kind of where it comes from that's what kind of where it came from but then you know when i think voyager one when voyager one got out there and discovered and saw the saw the planets and took pictures and you know for the technology we had the pictures it took were amazing right and it confirmed that the orbit that it's on is that's where it's supposed to be it's not doing this waving thing like the guy who was doing this initially thought but then it got into some more stuff and by this time my brain was taxed so i kind of got lost in it, but there was something else that came out and saying talking about it brings it back to life to show that planet X could still be a possibility. Yeah. So and whether it's planet X or a black hole that we can't see by now, we should have found planet X, right? <laughs> Brian's doodle hole. <laughs> <laughs> we should have found Brian's doodle hole by now. Oh, it's been found. We've been found out. It's a, it's, it's it's it border turning, it, it borders on supermassive. <laughs> turns into a brown star. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. This, <laughs> I'm sorry. Your doodle holes become the butt of the joke. Yeah, that's the <laughs> yeah. title of the episode will be. <laughs> Brian's doodle hole. So moving on to the next type of black hole would be a supermassive black hole. I mean, these are these are the birth of giants, small black holes that populate the universe, but their cousins, supermassive black holes, they dominate. Right? Yeah. So these enormous black holes are millions or even billions of times the mass of our sun. Yeah. But they're also the same size and diameter like so, so I, it's mind-boggling so they could be 
billions of times more dense or have more gravitational pull as ours. Yeah, no wonder you nothing can escape them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's also why that the event horizon of that thing could be God knows how big. I don't want to start putting numbers because I'm just gonna I'll be just lost. But anyway, such black holes they're thought to they're t- thought to lie at the center of pretty much every galaxy in the universe, in, including our own Milky Way. Yeah, scientists yeah. aren't certain how such large black holes spawn, but once these giants have formed, they gather mass from the dust and gas around them. The material around is is so plentiful in the center of those galaxies. Yeah. Which is why it's able to, to do what it does. But it allows them to grow to even more enormous sizes. That's so, just the way they grow. Exactly. So as they're sucking all this stuff in, they're continuing to grow. It's not like they just stay one size like the sun does. Or, I mean, not the sun. Like it, the sun isn't enveloping all the stuff to, to get bigger in size. It's just the nuclear reaction that it's having that's creating it to, to get bigger, right? So supermassive black holes, they may be the result of hundreds or thousands of tiny black holes that merge together. So over a long period of time, so all those, that makes sense. Right. Large clouds of gas could also be responsible for collapsing together and rapidly accreting mass. Yeah. Right, which which would help that black hole. A third option of this is that the collapse of stellar dust, which a group of stars all falling together. Yeah, so uh, the stellar cluster. Like that's a whole like region. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> it's like multiple, like it's like a lot of universe, not universe, you know, uh, Galaxies. Yeah, it's like, so we actually, what was it? Just recently, a few years ago, got the first image of a, oh, yeah. of a black hole. Oh sorry, that's which is, was outstanding to just like I said, I can't even fathom the thought of it. It's just yeah, it's unbelievable. But anyway, the fourth is supermassive black hole. Is it could arise from large clusters of dark matter. This is a substance that we can observe through its gravitational effect on other objects. However, though, we don't know what dark matter is composed of because it does not emit light, and we cannot. It can't be directly observed. Yeah, so it just could it be the the missing piece of black holes? Like once we realize what it is, can it account for? It might. I don't know. I don't right. Know. I mean, because dark matter is doing something, and because like I said something is making these things do what they're doing. Yeah. But because they're not emitting light and they can't reflect anything, something more sinister. <laughs> <laughs> in a time far far away it just uh yeah so the other type are going to be that we're going to talk about is the intermediate the the kind of the black hole stuck in the middle so i what i gathered is scientists once the middle thought child that, yeah it's middle <laughs> child syndrome these mother so anyways scientists once thought that the <laughs> that black holes came in only small and large sizes but recently research mm-hmm. has revealed the possibility that mid-size or intermediate black holes or the imbhs if you will could exist so such bodies can form when stars in a cluster collide in a chain reaction or several of these IMBHs forming in the region could then eventually fall together in the center of a galaxy and create a supermassive black hole. So in 2014, astronomers found what appeared to be an intermediate mass black hole in the arm of a spiral galaxy. And then astronaut, uh, astronauts, astronomers, astronomers, astronomers have been looking very hard for these medium-sized black holes that there have been hints that they exist, but IMBHs have been acting like a long-lost relative that isn't interested in being found, much like the the Kraken, right? The, yeah. the octopuses yeah. that they recently <laughs> found. Like, I, have y'all seen that image of the these huge, like, each tentacle is like six to ten feet long, so they their eyes are the size of basketball, so they think they evolved to be, like, real sensitive to the light, so whenever we would go down, like, we'd never see these huge squids. So what right. they've done is, like, mm. now they've, like, turned out all the lights and did red light. They've captured two images, one in 2015 and one in two. 
2019. New research suggests that these IMBHs may exist in the heart of dwarf galaxies or very small galaxies, if you will. So these observations of 10 such galaxies, five of which were previously unknown to scientists before this latest survey, revealed X-ray activity, so common in black holes, suggesting the presence of black holes of from 36,000 to 316,000 solar masses. So what it's telling us is that this information came from the Sloan Digital Sky Survey, which examines about 1 million galaxies and can detect uh, the, the kind of light often observed coming from black holes and that they're picking up nearby debris. Yeah, and so that, that was another thing. is I don't think we talked about like the, how they accrete matter yeah. and then like how we can detect them, right? Yeah, um, so from what I understand is uh, black holes, they have like these three layers. So kind of what Kevin brought it up is like they have this um, outer and inner event horizon and then they have this yeah. singularity. And then the, the event horizon of a black hole is kind of this boundary uh, around the mouth of the hole past uh, mm. which light can't escape. So once a particle crosses into this event horizon, it can't leave. And then the, the gravity is constant across this event horizon, right? Right. Light can't escape this thing. So, you know, you, once you cross that event horizon, it's it that's the end of it. That's the end of it. Yeah. Nothing can escape. But they're being able to detect that radiation is actually yeah. protruding from these things. Yeah. So something can escape, <clears throat> which is where the idea of wormholes come. Yeah. Right. So something oh. can escape. Oh, but we'll, we'll get right? into that. But, right. But so even with that, so like, but in the inner region of a black hole where the object's mass lies, isn't it known as singularity? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Single point in time where the mass of the black hole where that where it's concentrated and then like even though scientists they can't see black holes the way that they can see stars and other objects in space instead the, what the astronomers they're they're really relying on detecting the radiation the black holes emit as you were saying mm. uh, the dust and gas in <clears throat> the dense creature so but the supermassive black holes lying in the center of galaxies they maybe become shrouded by thickening dust clouds surrounding them which can block the the tail tail emission so we can wrap in some <laughs> Quick black hole facts, and then I'm going to tell you why black holes aren't wormholes. Let's do it. Cool. Well, I'll start. So, and he fell into a black hole. This is the uh, coolest theory thing. Theory says, yeah, it suggests that gravity would stretch you out like spaghetti, though your death would come before you reach the singularity. Oh, yeah. But then a 2012 study published in Nature suggested that quantum effects would cause the event horizon to act like a wall of fire, and you would instantly burn to death. So, like, it's called, what, spaghettification? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's nuts. It's because wow, like, it's a real term. So here's the thing is black holes they don't suck. So suction is caused by pulling something into a vacuum, which the massive black hole definitely is not. So instead, objects actually are falling into them as they would fall towards anything that exerts gravity like Earth. So what's happening don't they is they get like ripped. What's happening is all right, let's say that you're going in feet first through it, right? What yeah. happens is that your your feet start going faster than your head, and then this keeps going and going and going infinitely, right? Right. Your feet start stretching a lot faster and you, as it keeps falling and, 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 it, and it's to the point the tidal forces of this black hole, it become overwhelming. Like and not only that is that you it, it starts breaking <laughs> apart at the atomic level. Gravity is so much yeah. is that it's atoms are being ripped apart into these into these little tiny yeah. particles. And what you were saying and why they're not warm wormholes is because what's happening is it's called Hawking radiation, I believe is what you were saying. Yes. But that Hawking Hawking radiation is, it's actually evaporating. And the interesting thing about black holes is whatever's going into it and it's ripping it apart on these, like the atomic level, it 
it's equally being radiated out with this Hawking's radiation. So we know that it, it's 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 perfectly balanced. So eventually they evaporate. So it knows somehow, like it knows in this constant, like what's going in is coming out as well. Is this? But it's on the atomic level being ripped apart. So it's these little tiny particles that don't make any sense. Like, but it remembers and eventually shoots it back out. So it can't be a wormhole because they because they because <laughs> they do evaporate it's like eventually. Brian, it's like Brian Doo Maker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that shoots it right back out. <laughs> <laughs> but damn it, we try to put it right back in. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, another one is the first object considered to be a black hole is Cygnus X1. Cygnus X1 was the subject of a 1974 friendly wager between Stephen Hawking and fellow physicist Kip Thorne. Wow. With Hawking betting mm. that the source was not a black hole. In 1990, Hawking conceded defeat. Wow. I didn't, yeah. mm. I didn't know that. Another quick fact is miniature black holes may have formed immediately after the Big Bang and then rapidly expanding space may have squeezed some regions into tiny, dense black holes less massive than the sun. Jesus. Another quick fact. If a star passes too close to a black hole, the star can be torn apart. Yeah. Duh. And it can also, like, as it disrupts and rips these stars apart, it actually can construct other stars in other places due to that interaction with that star. Aren't those it's, like it's those, really those, weird. those quasars that come out of them? Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I, I think, but I, Fucking I, mean, nuts. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We, didn't even, we didn't even get into quasars. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's so much we could do. So astronomers estimate that the Milky Way has anywhere between 10 million to 1 billion stellar black holes with masses roughly three times uh, that of our sun. Mm. Uh, <laughs> last one, black holes. They remain terrific fodder for science fiction books and movies. One of my favorites, Interstellar. That's, yes, it, so. yeah. That's so, Brian. It relied heavily on Thorne to incorporate science. So Thorne's work with the movie's special effect team, it led to scientists' improved understanding of how distant stars might appear when they're seen near a fast-spinning black hole. I, I do love the soundtrack for that movie, which is so weird because in space, you wouldn't there would be sound in a different way, yeah. not how we experience sound. So it's just it's weird that the best soundtrack ever made probably is on a movie about a place that you wouldn't even hear it. And then it's crazy that <laughs> the bet that Stephen Hawking made was the the dude that helped out on that movie. Thorne. Yeah. Kip yeah. Thorne. Wow. That's nuts. Well, I think, yeah, for the sake of brevity, like I told you, we could keep going. I say that we do a little bit of... Right. You know what that sounds? All right. That sound is. It's uh, the new and improved That Freaking Rocks. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this week we have another featured artist, and this will continue the theme of multi-instrumentalist solo projects and that exist in the realm of what we call post-music, right? So like your post-rock, post-metal, <laughs> post-anything, everything, right? Yeah. So we would like to put a big welcome out there to Rob from the band Hereafter. Yay! <laughs> <Rob>. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Hey, hey, thanks for 
taking time to do this, man. Yeah, no, uh, we no do problem. appreciate it. Happy to be on here. And then, so, uh, Rob, how about you just tell us a little bit about your project? Because I'll, I'll tell you what, when I hear, like, so we've had other artists on too, and I, I hear this music and I, I feel like it's like a 10-piece band because it's just like, so, I, I don't know. So <laughs> how about you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about your project, where you're from, and how long you've, uh, I guess, been working on this little, the band. All right, cool. I'm in Pennsylvania, actually, Eastern Pennsylvania, about an hour north north of Philadelphia, hour south of New York City, kind of right in the middle there. I'm a drummer, actually. I've been playing drums for the better part of 17 years now, I think, something like that. But I've always kind of dabbled and played with some guitars, bass, and some piano stuff, and actually a little bit of saxophone, which I have yet to integrate into mm. my music now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, um, so hereafter, I actually started, I want to say in 2019, we had bought a house in 2018 and I had started to build a studio and I wasn't sure if I was going to even be able to do it because I really hadn't played that much guitar. I'd been just, just playing in bands with, with drums. And yeah. um, so I sat down after I had most of what what is now my studio and started writing music. And it just kind of one thing led to the other. I, I released an EP and then just last year in December, I released a full length album that was kind of like a test to see if I could do it. And then I actually have a new album coming out in July. Nice. That's nice. awesome, man. I think that that's super cool that you built your own studio. I wish that I had the luxury to do that at the moment, but just like that, that alone has to take some time and just research on what, what you have to do, what you need and, and what you're going for. So that's, oh, that's absolutely. Cool. Yeah. I actually had a buddy that had done it years prior. So I kind of had like a roadmap in a sense. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of, when, when it happened, I was like, all right, I know exactly what I want to buy, but I want to make better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I always feel like, yeah, like whenever I buy like, I don't know, stuff for my guitar, I'm always like, man, I, I should have just gone with the the better one. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's always, there's always something. Yeah. yeah. I always get into that conversation too. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, let's, let's uh, take a step back and let's take a, a look at the single departure from your most recent album, Reminiscence. So, all right. Uh, thanks. All right. So here we go. Brian's saying, I, it, you could hear it. If you couldn't hear it on your end, it was on my end playing. All right. And cool. it kicked yeah, out. No, that sounded awesome. That yeah. Sounded awesome. <laughs> no, it, no, it really did. <laughs> I, I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a lot of power in that track, especially uh, once that song kind of gets going to, to its big point. But I think, like, for me, what, what that, where that's coming from is your drumming style. Um, it, it seems to be a little more jammy. Uh, than mm-hmm. most post-rock music. So I'd like to know who some of your big influences are on, on your playing. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I could probably go on for hours. Loaded but... question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. I have I have a really wide background. Like I, I actually played in a, in a semi-post-rock band for a couple of years, but it's really like a mixture of like Circus Survive, oh, Rice, yeah. Citizen, Tidal Fight, bands like that with vocals. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. when it comes to post-rock, 
a lot of Caspian, the newer Tide Demand stuff. I tend to really gravitate towards that most recent Driftless EP. I will say that's probably one of my one of my bigger influences for post rock, even though it's such a newer thing. Yeah. I was pretty obsessed with that EP all of last year. It was pretty sweet. No, yeah, that one's really good. And see, James, I told you how good. Survive no, so Circuit there. Survive, we had a Battle of the Bands, like a March Madness kind of 32 band uh, kind of bracket challenge. Yeah. And Circuit Survive ended up uh, winning the entire thing. So they. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Always comes back to Circuit yeah. Survive. Dude, that, that band rocks out. But your band rocks they out, do. too. But so, <laughs> another question. So I'm always telling Brian, like, and I this will probably be a comment I say on every single one of these interviews, but <laughs> it's like I've always kind of like ribbed Brian being like, dude, you're your band i'm like your music it needs words to it but in your song <laughs> pray for rain it's got some some rad screams that's kind of the my background is kind of the band i play in with uh screams and mm-hmm. i like i like the good old-fashioned breakdown you want to tell us a little bit oh, about yeah. kind of like the inspiration for that in this kind of genre that actually is a funny that's, it's not really funny but it's kind of a, a longer story so to put it short my buddy mark from first watch he's in a metal band called first watch that i'm actually currently recording their album um in my studio he had came he came over i want to say early last summer during the whole covid thing and we we did it safely you know we quarantined that whole fun thing and he yeah. came over with this idea to put vocals over this song and the song turned turned out to be pray for rain later on but I had written that, I want to say it was like Christmas week of, of 2019, and it was just sitting on a hard drive. So he had listened to it for a good six months and wrote something to it. So I was like, let's do it. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've always come from a, a pretty heavy background as well. So I thought that was pretty cool. And actually, two of the newer songs that are coming out in July have some breakdowns in it. So that'll Dude, hopefully. <laughs> there's, there's nothing better than a good old-fashioned <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 hey rob so one thing i like about you is your ability like you crank out songs really quick like you you kind of told our group before you're like hey i've already started like writing the new record I'm, I'm, you already have a new record i guess coming out and then you're yeah. already, you're already thinking about the next one and so what's the big secret there because it takes me longer to write music how do you do it that's a tough one yeah. <laughs> so when i did my ep that was more so i had recorded drums as a test to see how it would sound <laughs> yeah and i ended up using those drums which later turned into euphoria and euphoria was on the ep and then that turned into euphoria turmoil on reminiscence so that whole drum track was just a jam initially and i just wrote to it with reminiscence that was a collection of songs for about a year and a half almost two years of writing whereas december of 2019 i want to say a week after i released reminiscence i had already had a new song written for the next record and and then i actually met up with jill from oriana oh Okay. And we, yeah. we had done some collaboration for her project, Oriana, and then Promissory. And then she introduced me to the group, the, the Post Everything group. And that really provided a lot of in, in, inspiration for me. Just seeing yeah. what everybody was doing and, and what their right. project sounded like. And I just kind of ran with it. Not really any recipe or, or secret. It just kind of hit that creativity wave and just went with it. Yeah, yeah. and I'm sure yeah. it's a lot easier just being you. And I, I play oh, with five, five other people or four other people. And then it's kind of just like, man... Where I have an idea, where I like that creative process, you know what I'm saying, where where it can go. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you come up with something and the integrity of it, I'm just like, oh, it's not kind of where I wanted this song to go, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, like I would, I would write something and then I would either table it for a week and not listen to it at all, or I would obsess over it and listen to it nonstop everywhere I went on every different kind of speaker. So kind of, I kind of went back and forth with that with each of these songs. But I totally know the feeling of writing with a group because yeah. the post rock group that I was with previously, we basically sat and recorded for four years and didn't release anything. <laughs> That's where I feel like I'm so, with my band. I mean, we have one song. So anyway. it was one of those things where when I started here after, I was like, well, I'm not going to sit on these. Yeah, I just sure. want to record and release music. So it's just me. <laughs> and then, yeah, one of the things that I liked about and or enjoyed like listening to like, your stuff is like it, it's rock heavy, but you also have like this uh, the the piano is evident in quite a bit of the songs, and it seems to add this real different, unique aspect and almost a vintage feeling, if you will. So kind of mm-hmm. what where where's where's that coming from? Like the clean piano. That's actually more so my lack of guitar skill. Oh. <laughs> I, we won't tell your secret, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I guess he will. Yeah. Well, basically, what, what, it, what it comes down to is I'll come up with some ideas. You know, I'll do the drums, the bass, guitar. And then I'll think, okay, what can I add to fill this but not make it sound too overdone? Yeah. Um, I will say with the newer record that's coming out, there's a lot less piano, but there is still piano. I definitely feel that with this record, it was a lot more, I guess, organized per se. I kind of had a process. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, and I just had a vision in mind. Whereas with Reminiscence, like I said before, was more of a collection of songs that I had written over time and I collectively put together. That's awesome. It's kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> when I write songs and I find them, it's like almost like reading a journal from like, you know, yeah. you, you can kind of be like, it yeah. brings you back to how you were feeling at that time, but that's I, oh I absolutely it. that's awesome yeah that's yeah this record like as a whole it, and, and maybe i was biased by the title but it definitely like took me back over the past few years maybe that's what what people mean to do they title things so that you at least have a guide right so mm-hmm. you can think about things so oh I, yeah I, I always connect music to like a specific memory yeah yeah it's it's the best. Well, Rob, we want to make sure that our listeners can find your stuff online and support you. I don't know if you have merch or anything, but where could they find you? Where can they listen and, and all that? Um, well, my current album, Reminiscence and the EP, are out on Spotify, Apple Music, basically anywhere you can stream from YouTube, Bandcamp. I don't really have any merch at the moment, but other than that, Instagram, uh, hereafter underscore PA, or Facebook, if you could find that page. I typically just keep everything on Instagram anymore yeah yeah it just seems to do better for music oh absolutely yeah i I don't even have a facebook the rest of the guys run ours or music (laughs) it's very cool dude h-e-r-e-a-f-t-e-r underscore p-a go that's it go check him out kicks ass yeah it really does it's it's got a lot of good energy. I mean, it, it is different than other post rock. Um, and it's it maybe a, and in, in not in a bad way, like a more straightforward approach. Like I liked, that's what I meant. It's like more like just, it just jams. Yeah. Um, and I, I really liked that about it when I was listening through the record. So awesome. um, well, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your time. We don't want to keep you forever. I mean, we'll sit here and talk for hours <laughs> yeah. on top of everything we've done, but man, we appreciate it. So, um, Best of luck in the future and look forward to hearing your new stuff. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Thanks, Rob. Have, Have a good, good night. You as well, Rob. <laughs> All 
All right, we can make this one short and sweet. So, okay, so I think we wanted to take the moment to talk about maybe perhaps the the sparest position that you could possibly think of that a band possesses, or maybe even the sparest instrument. I'm going to go ahead and give uh, Kevin honors. You can uh, tell us what you think about about this. Oh, hands down, bass. Hands down. There, there, I don't think there's anything you can... There, there's no way to, to argue this point, I don't feel. I think you make... That's that's a valid point. Hey, Brian. Um. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would hate to play that <laughs> instrument the most. Look at me play whole notes. <laughs> yeah, I, especially the music I play. like The bass player, but they always like... So you think of them with that, the big guitar, and they have it so up. Like, you know what I'm saying? With their strap, it's like above their belt line. And they're just like, they never show any emotion. They don't ever really rock out. They just kind of like go to the back of the stage and they just kind of like, they're there to exist. They just look yeah. at the drummer. Yeah. They're just like, dude, you're out of time. But... All right. Well, <laughs> no. Okay. So like the gym is like, so whenever I was, uh, I guess, messaging with Kevin, like I left this, this part in it just to purposely, uh, you know, <laughs> Cause you know, but I did this in our band chat. So like I was doing it to oh purposely like talk shit to our, our, our basis, our basis indirectly <laughs> just to give him shit. So I hope he listens to this. Like whether so. you think that the bass sucks or not, like it is the worst <laughs> instrument in, in, in all actuality. No, I would not want to play the bass just because I mean, I'm not, you very, look dumb doing it. I would look <laughs> extremely, I, I look dumb playing the drums. So, I mean, <laughs> Except the band isn't what it is without the bass. But, yeah. But, but <laughs> I don't want to play that instrument. But how do you feel about bass players that bring about six strings and you're like, what are you, what are you trying to do? What are you why trying you, to do? Why, why, don't you, like, why don't you pick up a guitar? Yeah. <laughs> 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 and it is and then when they Justin. do like move around a lot they look so weird because you have all the guitars and like you know they're like rocking out and the bass player comes it's like everyone just kind of like scoots away <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. well i guess should we call it there brian yeah, this is a good episode. I, I'm kind of sad we didn't get to the solar system stuff, but... Uh, I think, I mean, we'll, I mean, it just leads to another episode. Like, it's, we should yeah. have really just, like, <clears throat> talked about one thing and really gone deep in it. Yeah, because, I mean, really, I you know. can you can, you can can divulge into one specific topic and just you can just yeah. kind of keep going. You really can. That's why the universe is amazing. That's, <laughs> I, that's, why, it's, yeah. that's why it gets my attention. I mean... Yeah, I don't... It's, it's so mind-boggling. I don't understand half the stuff. Like, I like the... Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, we're ending it. We're ending it. Yeah, so. Yeah, (laughs) shut up, James. All right. Yeah, so anyways, this has been another episode of Geology on the Rock. We'd like you to remember to be cool. Stay tuned. And keep it. On the rock. Oh, on the rock. (laughs) We'll get it eventually, Ryan. Face to face. It's so much easier. It really is. Man. Space. I feel like I'm in space right now. It's that distance between. We did it, another episode is in the book. Next one's 30. <laughs> <laughs>